0: You're listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan, and in this first podcast of 2020, I've been talking to Dr. Hyatton Salem, the Chief Executive of the Royal Academy of Engineering. Today, we're talking about diversity and inclusion in engineering. Why do you think that diversity and inclusion in engineering really matters?
1: I'm glad you asked that because I think that people have a rather narrow view of why it matters. And to me this is just so profoundly significant and I hope that people who are not in engineering will also see this as being relevant to their world because none of us are I think in a position where we can be complacent about the extent to which we in the broad scientific and engineering community have come to grips with diversity and inclusion. Diversity matters in engineering because engineers shape the world we live in. They literally design and deliver the infrastructure we all rely on, whether it's physical infrastructure, digital infrastructure, that that runs our lives. And I think it's immensely important that the people that do those roles are reflective of the wider society that they serve. And if we fail to become more reflective of that wider society, I think there's a real risk that people will start to ask, well, why should you have a license to play this role in our world? And I think the same is true in many ways, um, perhaps in slightly different ways, of the broader scientific community. You know, we have this extraordinary role in moving forward the forefront of knowledge. And I think we should all feel that it's a real imperative that the people who are involved in that do feel and sound and look more like the broader society that's going to be directly impacted by what they do.
0: Okay, and given that, What is the current position in the UK in terms of diversity within the engineering profession?
1: Well, the UK is in the unfortunate position of having both a major skill shortfall and a really serious diversity deficit. So Engineering UK estimates that our um, shortfall in terms of the numbers of engineers we have each year is up to 59,000. And yet we have a profession that is only around 12% female engineers and 9% black and minority ethnic engineers, which is really, if you think about it, quite a shocking position to be in in 2019. And if you start digging away a bit more to understand what's happening underneath those headline stats, what you see is that the UK is sort of languishing in a position that doesn't put us very favourably compared to other countries. Um, so our statistics haven't really improved very much over a period of decades. And um, in a study that the Academy did, uh, probably about three years ago now, um, we placed a lowly 58th out of 86 countries worldwide wow. in terms of the gender diversity of our engineering graduates, which wasn't something we felt particularly proud of. It's interesting because we often talk about the, um, the need to attract more women into STEM. And whilst it's certainly true that when you look at senior levels of the profession, uh, women are underrepresented across many um, science and, and technical subjects. We're actually about 50 50 if you look at the gender balance of uh, the, those who go to university and study STEM subjects. Uh, and it's really engineering, physics, computing that bring down the average. So women are overrepresented amongst mm. um, the graduate intake of many STEM subjects, um, but grossly underrepresented. So we're all stuck at about 16% of the undergraduate cohort being female and it's even worse when you look at apprenticeships so about seven percent of apprentices in engineering in england are female and it's about half that in scotland
0: so you've identified we're in this lowly position mm-hmm. um, just to give us the contrast what does best in class look like who is best in class and what kind of levels of participation do they have
1: well it's, it's quite an interesting picture so you you will um probably be surprised at some of the countries that top the Gender Diversity League for Engineering. So in the study we did, it was um, some of the North African countries, um, countries like Myanmar, and when you think about the sorts of countries that, that UK academics collaborate with, you'll often hear them say, oh, when I go to Malaysia, I'm amazed at the fact that not just the students, but some of the faculty are 50-50 in terms mm-hmm. of their gender balance. And there is a, a kind of very deep culture dimension to our perception of engineering in this country that means that we're really struggling to overturn this, this perception that engineering is a male subject in a way that we just don't for, um, for subjects like biomedical science, which is where I started. So I started off as a biochemist. And I always think it's fascinating that you know, when I was working in a, in a lab as a biochemist, as a medical researcher, I could have had an exactly analogous role, I could have sort of been standing next to myself metaphorically mm. doing the same job, if I'd studied engineering, and yet it would never have occurred to me that engineering was a, was a route to contributing to advancing medical research. Yeah. Um, and, and our framing of the role of uh, engineering is very different in this country to many other countries. So in many countries there's a perception that engineering is really important to social progress, you can see it makes a difference to people's lives. Um, it has a very high status in countries like Germany. Mm. Uh, people are very proud of vocational routes into education in a way that, unfortunately, isn't quite so true in the UK. And so you think about something like biomedical science and um, all the advances in, um, in medicine that are, if you like, attributed to either medicine or to bioscience. But they're all really underpinned and enabled by engineering. Yeah. Without the instrumentation, we wouldn't be able to... Um, uh, uncover the new knowledge. Without engineering, we wouldn't be able to manufacture drugs at scale. Without engineering, we wouldn't actually be able to deliver benefits to patients through the logistics that are involved in yeah. hospitals. So it's a, in the UK, we have a sort of narrow and quite um, unhelpfully outdated and gendered perception of engineering, and that's something that we've really struggled with. Now, I can
0: understand that some newer economies um, may have almost started in a slightly different place. Um, but we won't be the, the only country that has traditionally in the past um, uh, had this gender diversity problem, and yet some countries have overcome it in a way that the UK hasn't. And, and are those the kind of countries that have the most useful lessons for us?
1: Well, it, I, I think... Potentially yes, but ultimately what we have to do is to work out for our particular situation, our cultural context, our um, educational landscape, what can we do that's mm-hmm. going to create a different outcome when we've been attempting to chip away at this without inception yeah. success. And so I guess that's been at the heart of some of the things that we and many others have been working together um, to, to, if you like, to self-disrupt.
0: I think that's right. One of the things when I think about this is that there are so many different players involved, from schools, universities, employers, the governments, chartered engineering institutes, the academy, and, and many others. How can these groups kind of work together to begin to tackle these problems?
1: Yeah, it's a really um, important point. And if we slightly broaden this out, if you, could, if you look at uh, gender, or sorry, rather diversity, in combination with the skill shortfall, Um, One of the issues that's really afflicted our collective approach is that we've been very, very fragmented. So we did a study a few years ago now where when we got to 600 organisations involved in promoting engineering to young people in schools, we just stopped counting because we sort of proved the point and that didn't include individual companies, or individual universities it's it, we've not had a wonderful track record of working collaboratively to try to uh, look at the outcome we're seeking and then arrange ourselves in the way that's most likely to deliver progress against that and I think the same is true of of diversity so we have had a lack of critical mass about the collective effort that we've put in and the outcomes simply just speak to the fact that that is not an effective way of doing things and um, so I'm pleased within engineering certainly in the last few years we've seen a real uh, recognition that we have to behave differently as a community Mm. if we want to finally tackle these long-standing challenges that we have over skills and diversity. Um, And so whether you think of that in terms of the fact that we've come together in the National Engineering Policy Centre, which brings together the 39 organisations that speak for engineering in the UK, um, to be able to articulate their key messages to policymakers with a more coherent and effective voice, or whether you think about the work that we do in support of Engineering UK's efforts to try to get greater coherence and a higher level of quality across the efforts to promote engineering in schools. These are all examples of us trying to behave better as a community, and I think that's just absolutely critical. If we all go through our independent learning cycles individually, it's an incredibly inefficient way of behaving.
0: Mm. And focusing now just a little bit more narrowly on, on the work that the Royal Academy itself does, You've had a number of things such as the uh, This Is Engineering campaign, um, Graduate Engineering uh, Engagement programme. Do you want to talk a little bit about Mm. how those have panned out over the last couple of years and where they might be going?
1: Yes, absolutely. I talked earlier about the fact that we recognised that there was a need for trying something new because what we were doing simply wasn't effective. And one of the best examples of that is our This Is Engineering campaign. So it's a digital marketing campaign targeted... Well, initially it was targeted at teenagers 13 to 18 year olds um, because just in pragmatic terms they are people who are about to make career decisions and have not yet fully committed hmm. to a particular career path uh, and what was different is that we said well engineers have been trying to figure out how to sell this wonderful vision of the career that's on offer to young people and their parents for many years without great success Why don't we instead put ourselves in the hands of the digital marketing agencies who work day in day out to promote brands to young people? Um, And so it's a social media based campaign, it features young engineers, real engineers, who are doing extraordinary but relatable things, it's all very well to show people Elon Musk, but that's not necessarily something that when you're 14 you feel is immediately relevant to the career choices you're making. Um, and we, we imposed a lot of discipline on ourselves to make sure that we were very rigorous in following what the market research and the marketing-led approach dictated. Um, so we had some interesting discussions where we had very senior people around the table and we'd tell them that it's fascinating to hear their thoughts on the videos that we were producing, but actually not terribly relevant because they were not our target audience. And um, I think the fact that we did have that discipline is why we managed to achieve a, an unprecedented level of, of penetration for an engineering campaign. So, uh, since we launched at the end of January 2018, the videos that we produced have been viewed over 38 million times wow. by a gender-balanced audience of UK teenagers. And we do very rigorous analysis of the um, perceptions change that that's associated with. Yeah. And we, you can see that whilst before the campaign started, less than 40% of that target age range would consider a career in engineering. Mm. At the latest um, evaluation, we could see that around 70% of those who've seen the campaign were saying yes, they would consider it, and we've just started tracking um, parents as well, and over eighty-eight percent of parents said that they would recommend engineering as a career having seen the campaign. Now, we've got to be realistic. These are just hooks to try to Mm. open people's mind to the possibility that engineering could be a career for them. But um, that's a really important step forward. And of course, we've selected the engineers that feature in the campaign to really showcase mm. the full breadth of engineering. There's this sort of persistent image of the man in a hard hat and a high-vis jacket as being sure. the, the visual shorthand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so trying to make sure that we really showcase the, 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 the roles that engineers play from artificial intelligence and virtual reality through to... Um, it, Agritech and um, prosthetics, so that people who um, have disabilities can not just have splints that are effective but also personalised to their preferences in terms of their tastes. People who are involved in spacesuit design, really, really diverse examples, mm. and representing also the full diversity of people, routes into engineering, so technical and vocational routes as well as academic routes. So that's been a really important step forward for us, and I'm delighted that we've. Work closely with a range of partners. It's been funded entirely by industry um, and a whole variety of companies and our universities are financially supporting it. And in 2019, we also branched out from the social media dimension to uh, in real life um, activities. And we held our first This is Engineering Day, which was a National Awareness Day in November. And that was an opportunity to publicly celebrate the role that engineers play in shaping our world and to also really challenge people's perceptions about mm. who these people are, who can become an engineer. Sure. And I'm really happy to say that was a, a, a very positive first attempt at a National Awareness Day. So uh, in addition to some really fantastic media coverage, we had great social media engagement, we trended on Twitter for most of the day. Um, and very importantly, we had over 130 organisations sign a pledge to be part of that drive to represent engineers in a way that was more reflective of the real role that people play in society, the real role that engineers fulfill, more reflective of modern engineering. And those partners included organizations like the BBC and Facebook and ITV. And they're very, very important because they are mediators of the engineering imagery that we all see, that we consume, that shapes our perceptions. Um, And then alongside that, we created an image library that's now available on Flickr that has nearly 800 images that free to use and that mean that no one has any excuse for <laughs> reaching for that picture of um, the white man someone in, the hard in a hat. hard yeah. hat and a high yeah. jacket where yeah. they want to portray engineers.
0: No. no, fair enough. So that sounds like a fantastic start, but presumably this kind of level of engagement and campaign needs to go on for quite some time to actually achieve the transformation that you talked about, given how low we are in the, uh, in those tables.
1: That's absolutely right. I mean, this has to be uh, something that is, you, know, you have to be in it for the long haul. Yeah. And we also need more and more more partnership. Uh, you know, the Academy is a small organisation. We can't do that much by ourselves. What we hope to do is to leverage our leadership role in engineering to really help bring as many people along with us yeah. in this endeavour and to um, create good content that other people can use. Everything we do is open source. And we hope that by um, creating... You know, videos that have very compelling content will make it easier for all those people that go out into schools, for example, to have mm. high-quality video material to mm. present. We'll hopefully make it easier for companies who um, all are trying to diversify their intake, or for universities who have uh, a requirement to ensure that they improve the um, access to their universities, that all of them have good resources that they can use. So our, our hope is that we'll... Um, effectively have this engineering as a wholly owned campaign across the wider community that cares about the representation of engineers and that cares about making sure the UK has the right technical skills, sufficient technical skills and sufficiently diverse technical skills to meet the needs of society and the economy.
0: Fantastic. I was thinking that within that there need to be some exemplars uh, who really Uh, Shine in terms of uh, diversity and inclusion themselves and potentially the Royal Academy of Engineering could do that itself as an employer. And um, I know you've worked here for several years. How do you say that diversity and inclusion within the academy itself Mm -hmm. has changed over that time? Mm -hmm. Uh, And are you able to sort of show others what can be Mm -hmm. done?
1: Yes, I mean, we've been running the diversity programme for the engineering profession since 2006. We started it from a, a sort of zero baseline. And... And there have been a number of changes along that pathway that reflect the learning that we've gained. So in, I think it was 2011, it became the Diversity and Inclusion uh, Programme, Leadership Programme. And that was a really important change because we recognised at that point that um, when you work in, a, in an environment where there is uh, such a strong underrepresentation of certain groups, if you constantly talk about diversity, you're basically saying to the majority the group, we need fewer people like you. It's not really the most helpful starting point sure. to engage from. And the beauty about inclusion, which simply means creating an environment where everyone feels welcome, everyone feels able to contribute to the full, they feel valued, they can perform at their best. Um, the, the focus on inclusion alongside diversity is very important because it, it empowers everybody to say, we can contribute to this and we can sure. also benefit from it. So we move to uh, diversity and inclusion. I would also say that um, one of the things that changed was because we have such a severe and visible underrepresentation of women in engineering, it's easy to equate diversity with, we need more women. But that's also not not an appropriate way of looking at diversity, and when you looked at it in the round, there are some other um, diversity challenges that are really quite important we get to grips with. So when you compare um, the gender uh, statistic with the um, black minority ethnic engineers statistic, it looks like we're not in such a bad place. Um, when it comes to black minority ethnic engineers. But actually underpinning that is something quite worrying, which is that there's a very, there are very differential outcomes for black minority ethnic engineering graduates moving into the workplace. So you're twice as likely to be unemployed six months post-graduation if you're a black minority ethnic engineer than wow. if you're a white one, even when you control the type of university and the class of degrees. That's a really worrying statistic. That, so that, that's,
0: do, do we understand why? Is that to do with the fact that that trend is also true amongst uh, black and minority graduates from other subjects?
1: Yeah, so there are a range of factors. There's uh, but what we can say is is having looked at the data that engineering is is worse than, than okay. a number of other subjects on that front okay. as well. So, and that, that underpinned the creation of the Graduate Engineering Engagement Programme, yeah. which maybe we'll chat about in a second. Yeah. But just finishing what's what's changed over that time. You know, actually starting to capture enough data to understand the picture was really important. You can't you can't make progress um, on something like diversity unless you actually understand what's happening, what are the specific constraints that you're facing in your context. And then the other thing I would say I've i seen that's been positive progress is that when we started, diversity was something a lot of people said, yes, yes, that's very important, but it never really felt like a core business priority. I don't meet any serious leader of an engineering organisation now who wouldn't say that improving diversity and inclusion is... Is a core business priority it's not something that is a nice to have it's not Mm. something you do when everything else is sorted out it's very core to their personal credibility and priorities and that's a necessary precondition to making more progress so those have not translated into um, radical changes in the statistics as i shared earlier but nonetheless they are markers of progress okay
0: you mentioned in your remarks just then the graduate engineering engagement program Um, tell us a bit about that and how successful you think it's been so far
1: so, so JEEPS, I'm going to call it, it's a bit clunky, graduate engineering engagement programme, was created to specifically address this differential in the employment outcomes for graduates who are from black and minority ethnic groups and those who were white. And um, so we have created a programme which to date has supported over 650 student, students from 66 six universities. Um, and many of them are still at university, so we, you know, it's a work in progress. Um, but we decided to target um, lower socioeconomic groups and uh, black and minority ethnic engineering students in particular so we do have an overrepresentation of women amongst that but it's not primarily to ad- address the gender imbalance in engineering and um, what we have found is that it, we needed to have a really hands-on and dual approach working with both the students and with employers so around 20 uh, employers work on this program So on the one hand really at a very hands-on level build the, um, the social capital, the confidence, the understanding of recruitment processes of the students themselves, and to show them that there are people like them who work in organisations that are seeking to improve their, um, the diversity of their graduate intake, and on the other hand, working with those employers to say, well, where are these invisible hmm. barriers in your recruitment processes that yeah. mean that you consistently don't get enough people coming through who are from these groups? And so there's nothing terribly innovative and exciting, it's, it's actually rolling your sleeves up and, and drilling down into where are these barriers and how do we surmount them. Uh, so there's a, a lot of exposure between those two groups, the students on the one hand, the employers on the other, before it comes to any formal recruitment process. Once the formal recruitment starts, they're on their own, see mm. what happens the other side. But to date, around a third of the people that we've um, been supporting have already actually achieved placements or employment, which is a significant increase on what would have been the case without the intervention. And we've seen some employers say that, for example, their graduate intake has um, improved its diversity from around 14% black and minority ethnic engineers to over 25%. So mm. it's it, it's too early to give you the definitive statistics, but we were really pleased to be um, by the Business in the Community um, Race Equality Awards. Um, uh, because, as I said earlier, there hasn't been that much focus on race yeah. and ethnicity. And actually, I really think if you broaden this out beyond engineering, um, the STEM community and the sort of the, 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 the reach that the FST uh, has uh, into these um, parts of academia, parts of the sort of scientific establishment, really, really do need to take more ownership of the fact that whilst we've, I think, all clocked the fact that gender um, diversity is, is something that we need to focus more on, we're still quite embryonic in our attempts mm. to tackle race and ethnicity. And it still shocks me that something like 25 professors in the UK are black British women. Yeah. It's absolutely appalling. It, and none of us can surely believe that is the product of a system no. where excellence always prevails. No,
0: it's, it, it's clearly nonsense. Um, and, and perhaps others can learn from what you're doing here in the academy more widely across the STEM community and sort of assess the results of what you've been doing. But
1: I really hope so because I, I think there is a risk of complacency that you know, we think well, you know, we have a wonderfully intelligent community within science yeah. and um, we're very proud of many aspects of how, how we operate but I think it's incumbent on us to look at the more uncomfortable aspects Of how we're performing and to really challenge ourselves on how how much of a priority have we made it how seriously are we taking this and because we've got huge resource and capability amongst the the community that that, that we cover and I'm sure that if the if the will was there there would be a huge amount that we could do that we haven't yet even tried yeah and we're extremely happy to share all the learning that we gain within engineering driven by our rather extreme position and hopefully some of it will be of use to those in other parts of the scientific community.
0: I know you deal with organisations large and small and sometimes smaller organisations um, will feel that it can be quite difficult to uh, get on with some of these things because of the nature of their size. What's the sort of the one or two things that relatively small organisations mm-hmm. can, can do now to start making a change in absolutely. some of these areas?
1: No, you're absolutely right. And um, one of the things that we did uh, back in 2015-16 was work with the Science Council to specifically create a tool that would support professional bodies and learned societies in embedding diversity, inclusion into the activities, recognizing exactly as you described that many of them have quite limited resource, rely heavily on volunteers, and it can feel really overwhelming when you say, "Only oh, here's another thing to do. Sure. And I'm very happy that in 2017, over 40 scientific and engineering learned societies and professional bodies. Came together, used this for a collective benchmarking exercise. It's called the Diversity Inclusion Progression Framework. And we did a collective benchmarking exercise, we'll be revisiting it in 2020. And there is a lot of support available for organisations that do want to become part of that. And um, you can just go and look at our website or Science Council's website and you'll find out more about it. Um, but I would say, I would still say that that the biggest change that we can all make, no matter how limited our resources, is to say actually this is a real priority for us. We, mm. we, we have, um, we acknowledge that this is something that we need to bring into the heart of what we think is a definition of success for our organisation. Those bodies, small as they may be, have a really important leadership role. They are recognising the leaders across the profession. Mm. So if they're not making it a core priority, we're, we're not using the platform that we have collectively. Mm to try to provide strong leadership. And I know that those bodies are all committed to playing their part in creating a socially responsible profession, Mm. a really effective profession. And to me, it's inconceivable that diversity and inclusion are not part of what a successful and socially responsible um, profession looks like. They're Mm. not two different things. Mm.
0: Finally, I just want to uh, go back a little bit to what you were saying earlier, uh, when you were talking about the This Is Engineering campaign and you had various inspirational Young engineers uh, who were then providing that contacts, without embarrassing you, you're often seen as a bit of an inspiration yourself. Uh, you've been in uh, the inspiring fifty women in tech and one of the hundred most influential women in engineering, and have just been awarded the CBE for which many congratulations. Just on a personal level, who who have been the people who've inspired you throughout your career so that you've ended up where you are?
1: Well, if I'm really honest, the people who've been most impactful in my career. It's not an original answer, but it's a, it's an honest one. Are my parents, and I think it's you know they instilled in me a tremendous um, sense of public service and uh, encouraged me to to really take responsibility for being someone who was self-aware and who was committed to self-improvement, not mm. waiting for other people to uh, to drive that. Don't don't blame other people. Take responsibility for making things better. And my father was a um, he's from South Africa, so he grew up in. Um, an apartheid era South Africa and uh, he was the, the youngest of many children and the first in his family to have a secondary school education so it it sets you off with a certain sure. understanding of the importance of the opportunities that you've got and not wasting them but if I were to look to um, science and engineering then I would say that the two people that would vie for my uh, role model status would be um, Bob Langer on the one hand who's a pioneer of uh, drug delivery mechanisms. I first came across him when I was doing my PhD as a in cancer research, and he won the Queen Elizabeth Prize in twenty fifteen the uh, one million pound prize for groundbreaking engineering. Uh, on the one hand, Bob Lang; on the other hand, Steve Shirley, who's an absolutely extraordinary um, technology entrepreneur, philanthropist, uh, champion for uh, diversity and inclusion. And I think you know they both absolutely embody the spirit of visionaries. Great innovators, people who are intrepid, um, embrace challenge, hugely successful technically in, and in terms of their professional achievements, but also at the end of the day, just thoroughly impressive human beings.
0: Fantastic. That's a story of inspiration. In this podcast, I was talking to Dr. Hayaton Salem, the Chief Executive of the Royal Academy of Engineering. You're listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. You can find us on soundcloud.com, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. Or wherever you found this podcast. Or you can check out further details about the Foundation at www.foundation.org.uk.